going to talk this morning about the seven characteristics of Acts 2 church builders. You look back at that first century church or what we're calling the A2 church, uh, it yields many important insights for us. You know, that church, uh, they were a lot simpler. I think we make things so complicated sometimes uh, with all of our programs and all of uh, the doctrines that we argue about and uh, who's speaking in tongues and who's baptizing and who's oneness and who's trinity and who's this and we can name all of the doctrines and thoughts and things and interpretations that we argue about meanwhile the devil's having a good time watching us argue and the church is not moving forward because we're arguing about what we think should be right instead of having the mind of Christ and you look back at this Acts 2 church uh, there was a simplicity about it, that they waited for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fell. They were all filled with the Spirit. Someone got up and preached a word, preached Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. In Acts chapter 2, Peter did. And then the Bible says that God added people to the church. We complicate it sometimes. We need to understand that we are important uh, vessels in God's plan. Everything we do in your personal life, when you're at home, when you're on your job, when you're in the market, uh, it, it lends toward building the church. Doesn't seem right, does it? Only when we're at church, that's when we build the church. No, uh, it's everything you do in your life that builds the church and helps build the church. And when you build God's house, he builds your house. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 19 with me. We'll look at a couple of verses of scripture here as we kick off this seven characteristics of an A2 builder. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19, the Bible says, Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We need to understand that we are integral pieces and integral parts of a bigger machine. When one hurts, the body hurts. Come on. Jesus knows it. Uh, you, you know, we, it, there's a lot of songs now that, uh, you know, come from Luke chapter 15, talking about how he leaves the 99 and he came after me. And it's great to sing. There's some great melodies and it's a great thought. But do we really believe that? Do we really understand that there is a vastness out there and God knows you personally? God loves the world, God loves the universe, God loves the church, but God loves you, and he knows you. And he's asking, if you would just get to know me, if you would build my house, God is saying, I will build your house. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 2. Flip over there with me. I'm going to ask you to flip to a couple of different scriptures here as we get started. 1 Peter, uh, there in the New Testament, chapter 2. I'm just going to look at one verse here, verse 5. It's the same sentiment. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, 
a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, living stones, come on, are being built up a spiritual house. This spiritual house that God is building needs you. It needs you, spiritual stone, uh, to fall in line. It needs you to, to seek his presence. How do you want to build it, God? How do you want to do it? Flip back a little bit over to 1 Corinthians. One more scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is talking to this church at Corinth, and there's a lot that he had to correct with them. Uh, the church at Corinth was going through a lot, and uh, they began to get off track a lot, and Paul began to set them back uh, on, on the right path. Uh, and then he, he comes to, to chapter 12. Look at verse 18 in 1 Corinthians. He says this. It says, but, but now God has set the members, each one of them, each one of them, each and every one of you in the body just as he pleased. Just as he pleased. And then down in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individual. I think that one of the things, just a side note that uh, we stumble on is we have ideas of how we think things should go. We especially have ideas of how we think others should handle their business. I know most of us being members of the church definitely have ideas of how we think the church should run. Come on. Uh, you know, what the leaders should do, what the pastors should preach about, and uh, what the children's program should be doing, and how the transportation ministry falls short, and all of those things. And, you know, one of the things uh, that I, I really love, I, I heard a quote uh, some years ago, and uh, I mean, I've even used it, uh, you know, on Instagram and all these other things, but I, I, I would implore young people to really take this to heart. Be the change that you want to see. Don't just complain about it. Don't just say this is what it should be, but be the change that you want to see. More importantly, those of us who belong to the local church, first of all, we have to seek Christ. What is your will? I have my own ideas of how I think things should go. And I definitely know how my life should go. Don't tell me how to run my life and, and what, I, uh, you know, what, what I contribute to the church. I'm good at this. I really don't want to do that. I know you need someone in children's ministry, but you know kids are not my thing, and so uh, that's not what I do. You know, I'll just wait. I'll just wait and see what the Lord says. And meanwhile, five, six years go by, you're still waiting to see what the Lord, uh, you know, what your purpose is and what God would have you do. But here in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, uh, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as who pleased? Just as he pleased. God puts us together and God puts his church together the way that he pleases. Now, some of us may take offense to that. Well, why does he get to put the church together the way he pleases? I got some ideas about the church. What about some of the ways that I please? You know, and I think that what, one of the things is we, we don't approach God the right way. I, I've been thinking about this a lot in the, the last few years. 
I've been thinking about this because, you know, as a Christian, you hear, if there is a God, then why are there earthquakes? You know, if there's a God, why are there tsunamis? Why do people, uh, you know, go into schools with guns and why do kids die? And why do all these things happen if there is a God? And if there's a God, why did this happen to me? You know, why did I lose my mother or my brother or my dad? Or why did this happen? How did I get in this situation? Why, if there's a God, why all of this? And legitimate question. God can handle the question. It's an absolute legitimate question. I think there's just one issue with that question that we forget about as we ask it. And the issue is that he is God. God has been here before the beginning. The Bible in two different places, John and then also in Genesis says, what? In the beginning, God. So he was already there before the beginning. We can't fathom that. Before there was a heaven and before there was an earth, before there was a universe, there was God. I don't know what that means. What, what was there if there was no space and time? There was God. And after that's all over with, you know, the Bible says in Revelation, with me and my family were looking at this uh, uh, the other Sunday, the Bible says in Revelation at the end, God is going to roll up the heavens like a scroll. What does that mean? <laughs> it means he is God. He can do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, the way he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, and to whom he wants to do it to. We have to approach God first, believing that he is. He just is. If he says it, that's it. He is God. We first have to approach him that way. And then, and only then, will we begin to understand the love that God has for us. This infinite being who could do anything he wants to do. He could, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be uh, offensive, but he could kill your whole family if he, wa if he wanted to. I mean, if he wanted to do it, he could do it. He, you know, we say that God can do anything but fail. I, if God really wanted to, he could. I don't know what that means either. But what he did was he bound him on himself by his own word. God did that. That's what he did for you and I. So when he speaks a word, it is true. There is no shadow of turning in God. He, he loves us unequivocally. Come on, he loves us with an agape love, that word we love to use, unconditionally. God loves us. He loves you, and we cannot understand that love until we first understand that he is just simply, we're talking about the almighty God. Come on, we're talking about God. And so if we have that as our baseline, we begin to understand that he might, just might now, might know a little bit better than us how to build the church and how to build a life. He might know, I, I don't know, but he might know a little bit better than me. Someone who's been here a few years before me, he might know a little bit better than me. And so if I want to build something, if I want some answers, I must go to the one who created the questions. He created everything. He created the questions. So let's go to him. Why don't we trust God? We need to understand that God is simply God. He knows how to do it. I know we have some ideas on how things should go, but why don't we just seek him first? I mean, if you're hurting, why don't we seek God first? Uh, if, if you're in debt, why don't you seek God? He cares about debt. I mean, the scripture says you should own no man anything but to love him. So he must care about you being in debt. I mean, he cares about your relationship with your wife. 
He cares about your relationship with your children and your mom. He cares about your relationship with your kids. He cares about you on your job. Some of you hate your job. <laughs> he cares about that. Why don't we go to him? He knows it all. He knows it all. God knows it all. And so what he wants us to do is build this Acts 2 church. Build this church. And if we do that, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear it from heaven, from this spiritual realm where I am, and I will heal their land. And so when we begin to ask all these questions, doesn't it come all the way back around to, he said, if you, church, if you, my people, would pray and humble yourself and seek my face, I'll heal your land. So the question not is, if there's a God, why does he? The question is, if all these things are happening, why don't we? Why don't we? We need to look internally. So he wants us to build this Acts 2 church. Now, you know, this thing really began, I know, in the Old Testament, uh, you know, Moses sort of was a, was a, was a pastor of a, of a huge congregation there. But the, but the New Testament church really began when Jesus' ministry began. The church that we know uh, today really began when his ministry began. If you take a look at this graphic, sort of chronologically, you'll see he had three and a half years about of ministry there. Uh, some of you scholars can probably correct me on some of this, but this is the best uh, that I could do that I saw in my research. About three and a half years of his ministry, what did he do? Those were the Gospels. And uh, he actually, this was new, this was really Christ in the Old Testament giving New Testament revelation. He's talking about the kingdom of God, but remember, in his three and a half years of ministry, he obviously hadn't died on the cross. He hadn't been dead for three days and he had not resurrected. So the new covenant officially hadn't started yet. You see, a new covenant can't start that will, the new will can't start until somebody dies. And so he hadn't died yet. So he's in the Old Testament, really, even though we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the New Testament. Really, they're moving in the Old Testament. But I believe the reason it's in the New Testament is because Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God. He's, he's looking, he's, he's reaching into another time and he's pulling back another world. He's reaching, not a terra firma, but another time and he's pulling back to us, giving us a glimpse of the kingdom of God here on earth as he talks in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so really that was the foundation of his church because he began to, remember he, taught, he asked, who do you say I am? Right? Who do you say I am? Oh, you are the Christ. Well, on this revelation, I will build my church. So he began to talk about what the church would be and the foundation of the church. And of course, Passover came. It was a high Sabbath. That's a whole teaching in and of itself. He was dead three days. Three days he was dead. And then he rose again. He resurrected. And then for 40 days, imagine this, 40 days on the earth. You know, this is something that I read and I knew and I understood, I comprehend, but it really wasn't in my spirit. This 40 days, can you imagine a risen Savior who I saw die a bloody death on the cross and three days he was in the grave. Now he's risen and 40 days he's walking the earth teaching and preaching about the kingdom of God. Think the kingdom is important? The kingdom principles are important? You think faith is important 
Jesus was teaching about kingdom ways for 40 days. You know what's wrapped up in those kingdom ways? You want to know why we're doing this series on the Acts 2 church? Because what's wrapped up in those kingdom ways is how to get out of debt. What's wrapped up in those kingdom ways is healing. How to be healed and how to heal. Come on. What's wrapped up in those kingdom ways is how to get out from under those things that so easily beset you. That sin, that attitude, whatever it is. Deliverance is wrapped up in that teaching those 40 days about kingdom life. About prospering and being the head and never again the tail. Being above and not beneath. Come on, I'm not saying hard times are not going to come. People won't offend you. You know that's part of life. But I'm saying to be able to walk on water in the midst of the storm, no matter what the circumstances are, to be able to have peace, to be able to speak and say, peace, be still. That's what Jesus was talking about these 40 days. So for 40 days, there was kingdom teaching. Kingdom teaching. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to me. And then he went to the mount. And said, okay, I'm going to leave you now, 40 days, but here's what I, he said, I'm going to tell you two things. Two things I want you to do. I do want you to go into all the earth, but first, I want you to go to Jerusalem, go to a room, and I want you to wait. I want you to be on one accord. Sometimes a church, we, we start a church, we get, or a ministry, whatever, we off and running. But we forget about the part where Jesus said, Wait. Because I'm going to send you my spirit. It is of paramount importance that we wait and get the Holy Spirit. He said to wait in that room. Be on one accord. Don't get up there and start arguing and bickering about doctrine. But be on one accord. Wait, pray, be on one accord. And if you do that, I'll send you my spirit. Now, they may not have known how long this was going to take or what was coming. They heard what Jesus said. Some of them may because it's obvious that 50 days after Passover, you get Pentecost. So maybe some of them figured, huh, well, Pentecost is coming up. Maybe that's the day it's going to happen. But I don't know that they knew that or not. But 10 days later, the Holy Spirit fell. They were in the upper room. They were on one accord. They were praying together. Come on. And the Holy Spirit came and filled them. Then someone got up and began to preach the word. Don't get up and preach the word without the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean just be a pulpit preacher. I'm talking about don't even witness. And I got scripture to back that up. When, the, when, when the, uh, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and then you will be my witnesses. That's what the book of Acts says. Now, we talk about the church. And I want to talk about the local church uh, specifically. You know, there's the universal church. The universal church is just the church. God, you know, it's Christ's church. But I want to tell you something about the universal church. The universal church, uh, it's interesting to me, all of the things, I know I've said this before as well, all of the things that people call church. And when I say the universal church, I'm not talking, I don't, again, I don't want to step on your toes. I'm not trying to offend you. All I can do is preach the word. And if you are offended, I'm sorry, but... You know, the word is just the word. When I say the universal church, I'm not talking about the universal Unitarian church. I'm not talking about a church where we, uh, you know, where, where we worship, you know, the wind and the trees and all of that kind, the creation rather than the creator. When I, when I say the universal, let me just put it this way. When I say the universal church, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. That's right. It is the mystical union of the body of Christ worldwide. Uh, not mythical, but mystical. Now, when I say mystical, don't, again, see, I put these words up here. 
don't, don't get all weird. It just means the unseen uh, union, okay? It's a spiritual union. That's all it means when I say mystical. It's not, ooh, just, all right. Should have put a different word there. The unseen union, all right, with the physical eyes of the body of Christ worldwide, joined by the Spirit to all believers everywhere at all times. Now, here's the key. Here's the key with Jesus at the head. Jesus has to be the head of the church or it's not the church. It's not, he made it up. It's his deal. He made it up. It's his church. Come on. You remember, uh, we just talked about it in Matthew chapter 16. He said, who do men say that I am? Well, Elijah, who, who do you say I am? You are the Christ upon this rock, Peter, uh, upon this rock of this revelation. I will build my church. If it ain't got Jesus, it ain't a church. That's using my very best English in uh, the college town. Come on. It's, it's, it's not a church if Jesus, Jesus ain't in it. <laughs> Come on. Ephesians 3.21 says, To him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And look what Paul put on the end of that. He said, Amen. That means so be it. Forever and ever. Jesus, all about him. All right, so that's the universal church. But what we're talking about also is the local church. Remember, we are members, in, uh, you know, in particular, members individual. Well, local churches are also members of the universal church. So the local church is where local believers gather together in true and spiritual harmony, in one accord, in one place. Now here's identifying with the vision and leadership of that local church, which is structured in the New Testament pattern, the pattern of Jesus Christ, the pattern that Jesus laid out for us, all right, believers coming together with the vision that God gave us or any local church uh, that their purpose would be. Remember, we're members individual, and so every local church doesn't have the same, uh, it has the same overall purpose, Matthew 28, 18, and 19, we know that, but it may, they may, so one church may be uh, mission-oriented, another church may be focused on uh, getting youth off the street, another church may be focused on uh, feeding, uh, with feeding programs, or whatever it might be, or, or different spiritual emphasis with different spiritual gifts. Uh, some churches have two or three, Whatever it might be that God, remember, we talked, we just read a scripture that said, uh, it's, it's, he puts us together. Come on, we're living stones that he puts in place. So we must seek God. We must seek his spirit to say, what would you have our local church to do? And that's the way the local church should operate. Matthew 18. In fact, flip over to Matthew 18. Another scripture here real quick. Matthew chapter 18. I just want to show you something real quick. Just, and this is just a small part of sort of the characteristics of uh, a local church. Uh, remember I was talking about, you know, we, we talk about well, what's in it for me and what, uh, you know, what, I mean, I understand building the church and I understand giving my tithe or giving some offering or uh, coming and working in children's church, but, you know, that benefits the church. How does that benefit me? Right. And I would tell you, I, I, I wouldn't call you a selfish person. I would say maybe you're just concerned. <laughs> uh, where do I fit in in all this? And I would tell you that God is concerned about you. God has set it up. He set it up so that we all benefit. If you build God's house, he'll build your house. Come on. Look at verse 15 of Matthew 18. Jesus is just giving some instruction here to the people. But he says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him, his fault between you and him alone. Whole scripture, a whole sermon right there in that. Come on. 
between you and him alone. <laughs> but we want to tell everybody what so-and-so did to us. But it says, go to him first. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. Now, let me just say, this is just side notes on the church. Let me just, since I'm going through, let me just say something about that. Remember, we talk about correction. Uh, you know, some, you're offended. Somebody does something wrong to you. What is your motive when you go to correct them or straighten them out or give them a piece of your mind or whatever it is that you want to do to get back at them? What's your motive? Yeah, I know what Jesus' motive is, and I know what he wants the church's motive to be. That is to gain a brother or a sister. That's the whole point. If you're offended, go to someone to try to gain them, not to try to tell them what they've done wrong. But if he will not hear, take one or two more. Oh, you see, Jesus is building up to something here. Take one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. The church has a purpose here. Tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. They didn't like tax collectors very well in that time, during tax time. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask it will be done for them by my father in heaven for where two or three are gathered together in my name I am there in the midst listen listen to uh, the when you talk about benefits of the church this is what I, we were talking about when we first started this message today Jesus is saying look I whatever whatever's going on in your life I mean you have you have financial problems you 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 have issues at school and uh, you're failing your tests or or your teachers uh, professors getting on your nerves or your boss or whatever it might be your trouble in your marriage all of these types of things he's saying listen if where two or three are gathered in my name I am there in the midst and if you would just ask if you would just touch someone else and agree because there's no lone wolves there's no lone wolves in the body of Christ, no matter what you may think. God hadn't set it up that way. He set it up for us to be together. If you will come together with somebody, touch together, agree, and pray, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. James chapter 4 says, you have not because you what? Ask not. God is saying, come ask me. I have the answer. Sometimes you may not like it, but it's all for your good. I have the answer. You want to know how to get out of debt. I have the answer to that. Because you keep trying stuff. You keep taking out more loans and getting different credit cards and, and combining stuff together and paying off this and going to Dave Ramsey and who's very good and, you know, doing all these types of things. He said, I'm just going to sit here. I, I, I have a way for you to prosper. But, you know, if you don't want to ask me, keep on going. And then you finally come to him. You know what he does? You, you know, he, he doesn't beat you up. You know what he does? He said, I thought you would never ask. Yes, I can help. I thought you would never ask. <laughs> so you want to hear that from God? Go to him. <laughs> Go to him. So we're talking about the local church. We're talking about the local church. Let me just give you a few uh, non-negotiable factors. Uh, with the, with the, because there's a lot of things. Like I said, there's a lot of differences we have, even in the local church, even when we profess Jesus Christ. But there's, a, there's differences we have. Thus, you see the different, you know, denominations. I mean, you got uh, whatever it may be, assemblies of God, non-denominational, 
You know, could be called a denomination in itself sometimes. You know, you have all the, you know, whatever it might be, Church of God in Christ, Church of God, apostolic, whatever it might be, uh, simply become Methodist, whatever it might be, because there may be some little thing that we don't agree on, and so we're going to go over here and do the thing that we, we'll worship the way we feel uh, we interpret the scripture to worship. And so we have all of these different things, but there are some things in the church that are simply non-negotiable. One that I don't have up here that I've already said is the fact that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. That's non-negotiable. I don't care what you disagree on and what you want to argue about in your different churches. It's non-negotiable that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. If, you, if we're not agreeing on that, then there's no sense in talking anymore. That's it. You know, we're, 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 we're done on that subject. We can, we, can talk about some, we can talk about the Super Bowl. We can talk about other things. You know, we can talk about how, uh, you know, I just kept on saying last night watching the IU game, they're going to lose, they're going to lose, they're going to lose. And they won, you know, had no faith. Steve, it was a shame, uh, you know. And, uh, but, you know, we could talk about other things, but talk about the church. It's got to start with Jesus Christ. So that's, that's the, but the first non-negotiable after that is the church must be spirit-driven and spirit-filled. You know, because what did Jesus say? He said, go to the room and wait. Don't start going out doing church. Don't have any services. Don't go to anybody's house. Don't start having communion. Uh, don't come up with any programs. Don't preach. You just go there and pray and be on one accord till the Holy Spirit comes. Then my, when my spirit fills you, see, not only will you have wisdom and instruction, but you'll have power to do what I've called you to do. There's no sense in going out trying to do something and you don't have the power and authority to do it. It gives you both, the power and the authority to do it. So it must be a spirit-filled and a spirit-driven church. Another thing that's non-negotiable about a church, some people may not realize this, but a church should be growing and spreading. If a church is not growing, it doesn't mean we don't do church anymore. It doesn't mean we quit. <laughs> been there, we've been there. It doesn't mean we quit, but what it does mean is we got to pause and say, okay, Lord, what, you know, what do you want us to do? What do we have to see? We have to go to him for an answer. And we always have to look to grow. We always have to look to that, okay? Church should be growing. Next thing, a church should be a praying and interceding church. Prayer is part of church. It just is. It's just, it just has to be part of it. You know, you go to McDonald's, you get a hamburger, right? You go to Outback, you get a steak. You go to wherever it may be. You know, you go to church, you get prayer. It's just, it's just part of the DNA. A church has to be a praying and interceding church. It's a non-negotiable. If you're not a praying church, that's why from time to time we'll have corporate prayer. You know, just to come together and pray together. Why we do that? I could have done that at home. There's something about us coming together, though. Even if you pray the same thing, there's something about us coming together to pray. Where two or three are gathered in my name, and that doesn't mean that just two or three should be here. But where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. And whatever you ask, whatever, whatever, whatever you ask, don't put limitations on God. Whatever you ask will be done by my Father who is in heaven. A church should have preaching and teaching of the full truth. In other words, we don't want just partial truth. We want everything. You got to preach repentance. Water baptism, being filled with the Spirit, Jesus Christ, all of it. You got to preach overcoming. Amen. Come on, overcoming sin, overcoming debt. I keep saying overcoming debt. It's part of it too. I think it, it, it hinders us as a church. Come on, we, we can overcome all of that. 
overcome issues in our life, in our relationships, overcome sickness. I know the devil throws it at us. I know it. I get it. Look, I'm there. You heard my testimony, some of you, about when I was in Davao in the Philippines and, I, you know, and I had that thing with my leg and, and with my ankle. And, and all you can do is come to some point where you say, God, uh, you know, in Isaiah, you, you know, talking about the coming Christ, you said, by, you know, our chastisement of our peace will be upon him and by your stripes we will be, we will be healed. And then I went to 1 Peter 2.24, said, by your stripes we were healed. All right, so it's past tense. So I'm speaking all of that. Now all I can do is get out this tricycle and start walking. That's all I can do. And I did. And he did. You know, all we can do is just trust God. That's all. That's all we can do. So we need to, we need to preach it all. We need, to pre we need to preach Holy Spirit. You got to deal with it. It's in the Word. You got to deal with it. It's in there. You can't, you can't, yeah, it's a non-negotiable. It's in there. And then we need to uh, belong to, I put this this way, a building together church. What, what I mean by a, a church that is building together means that we must, we must seek unity. Even if there are things we disagree about, we have to seek unity. We have to seek unity. Because God wants us to be together. Can two walk together, Amos, unless they be agreed? Thank you, Sister Sharon. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? We got to come together at some point. Right? And I can't just argue with you and prove to you that you're wrong and I'm right. And you can't argue with me and prove to me that I'm wrong and you're right. We have to see what Jesus says. What does the word say about it? What's the mind of Christ on this thing? Let's find it. If I'm wrong, then so what? Jesus is right. <laughs> He's always right. Let's do what he says. So we got to build together. It's got to be together. It can't just be the pastor or it can't just be this elder over here or the youth pastor or that person or the one, uh, you know, whoever has an idea. It can't just be, all of us have to do this thing together. It has to be a celebrating life and fulfilling purpose church. <laughs> all these long explanations. But what I really mean by that, uh, you know, is, is that we have, to, we have to seek out what our purpose is. We can't just come together. I don't know about you, but it would get awfully boring to me to just come together every week and just do church all the time. And nothing ever, you know, we don't do anything with missions. We never have an agape feast, you know. I'm so thankful we have agape feasts, you know. Agape feast is a good thing. Brother Carl, you might want to write that down. Yeldon, agape feast. <laughs> No, I just, but I mean, you know, or fulfill God's purpose, come together, pray. If there's never any healings, right, there's never uh, any salvation, never uh, any deliverance, never, I mean, it's just a club. You might as well go to the Elks Club. A lot of you don't know what the Elks Club is, do you? I don't know, the Kiwanis Club, Knights of Columbus. I don't know what kind of club you might, Boy Scouts. You might as well just go and, uh, you know, have a, it's just, just our club, go play cards, play bridge, or I guess it'd be Euchre in Indiana, whatever it is that we might do. Uh, you know, we just do that instead of coming, but there's a purpose. We have to seek, God, what is the purpose? Let's celebrate life at church. This is the life church, brother. See, last time I checked, it's the life church. Come on, we must celebrate life. And then uh, uh, reaching people and impacting the region church. In other words, we're a community church. We're, we're a church that's about community. We don't just stay in these four walls and this is just uh, us and Jesus and that's it and everybody else out there, you know, if they want to come join us, that's great. But if they want to stay out there, then that's on them. 
No, 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 no. We're not here for ourselves. We're here to fill up a little bit so that when we go out, come on, we don't just represent the life church uh, or whatever church, you know, you may belong to, Cornerstone, Sherwood Oaks, whatever it may, Northside, whatever it may be. You just don't represent that name, but you represent the name of Jesus when you go out. We just come here together to give him honor and glory and to see what he might say corporately for us. Uh, but the real ministry is after Sunday service is over. Come on, the real ministry is Monday on your job. The real ministry is when someone calls and says, you know, uh, you know my aunt's sick in the hospital. I need some prayer. Uh, or, or somebody's just feeling down. We know it. We know it, Jody. Somebody, maybe you're just feeling down and you're feeling kind of depressed and you need to call somebody. That's the, that's the real ministry. Or, you know, it, just representing Jesus out in the marketplace, where, on our job, wherever we are, that is the real ministry. And so we have to be a people uh, uh, reaching and an impacting the region, church, impact our community.